Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Hey, good morning, risers. So good to be back with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are too kind, too kind. Thank you. To God be all glory. If you're new here, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor. And if you're wondering why everybody's clapping like that, it's because I had a heart attack three and a half weeks ago. And, and uh, this is my first uh, week back since then. I'm 100%. Uh, things are, are back to normal. Praise God. There was no damage to my heart or anything like that, so praise the Lord, he had his hand on me and our family. So thank you so much for all of your prayers, all of your texts, your comments, your uh, just all over the place. I was just kind of overwhelmed uh, with so much uh, care from our church, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, but that's enough about me. Can we just celebrate our church? Last week in Restoration Room, we had a person who was healed of vertigo. Come on, y'all. Yeah, yeah. And this month, we are on a 21-day fast right now, and uh, I, I am believing for even greater healings, greater miracles, greater things in store. If you don't know about the fast, go back and watch the little video about it on YouTube and, and uh, last first Wednesday service that we just had, and jump on board. It's okay. Like, if you're like, oh, I didn't jump on board on Thursday when it started. That doesn't matter. Jump on board tomorrow, because I know you don't want to fast today, because the Bucks are going to win tonight. Yeah, yeah. So we don't want to jump on, on board quite too fast, maybe. I don't know. Okay, all right. So uh, can you believe that the Bucks are even in the Super Bowl? Like, 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 this is a true underdog story from the beginning of the year. And I know we got Tom Brady, and I know people were optimistic, but it also wasn't a very rational optimism. When you look back over the last number of years for the Buccaneers, how bad we were, and yet we can still make it to the Super Bowl in our hometown. So, so seriously, who really saw this coming? Like, honestly really saw this coming. And uh, so what a, what a great time for our city. Um, and there's always those underdogs. There's always those guys who are too small, those guys and girls really, that are too small, not fast enough for whatever reason. And in the NFL, they oftentimes go undrafted. They're not noticed for one reason or another. And so when the draft comes and goes by, no team actually picks them up. But later on, they become superstars. Let me give you four of them real quick. Did you know that Tony Romo was never drafted? Uh, Tony Romo, because he played at such a small school, a school called Eastern Illinois University. Yeah, we all know that one, right? Uh, he played at a small school. He ended up kind of getting looked over and not drafted. But during his career, he made three Pro Bowls, has uh, quite a few Dallas Cowboy records by a
don't measure up. We're never good enough. We always get left looked over. We end up feeling like we are undrafted players. I, I, can't, I can't worship like Pastor Jason can worship. I can't sing like he can. I can't, I can't teach like Pastor Tina. I can't, I can't pray like Pastor Ada. I can't, I can't preach like Pastor Ken. And so you end up feeling like because I'm not on the stage, because I'm not that great, I'm not a first-round pick, second-round pick. The truth is I feel undrafted. You feel like Kurt Warner, that no one seems to want to give you a chance. You might feel like Antonio Gates, that you made a decision at some point in your life that has steered you in a different direction, that now when you want something, your life has gone in such a different direction that people think you're on the wrong track. You might feel like Tony Romo from the wrong place or John Randall, and people think that you're too small. It stinks to be undrafted. A number of years ago, I was in a YMCA in Plant City, and uh, the Lord gave me this word for this kid that was working out. Uh, young young uh, uh, black guy, uh, kind of shorter but stocky, and, and, uh, and it was kind of weird uh, God gave me this word about, about, like, you know, you're walking through something right now that's stressing you out. Just take your hands off of it. It's okay. God's going to work it all out and this and that. And, and, uh, and it's one of those moments, like, I don't know this kid, and I'm in the gym. And I'm like, all right, God, if this is really you, you know, and make this happen. And, and God did. And so I went over to him. His name ended up being Des. And I uh, started talking to him. I'm like, bro, I don't know if you're a Christian. I don't know anything about you. But I just feel like God gave me this word. You might think I'm the craziest person on the planet, whatever. He started getting all serious. He said, I'm actually training right now for the NFL draft. I have a, I have a shot at actually making it on an NFL team, and I'm, I'm stressing over it. I'm not sleeping. Uh, I'm not a first-round pick. I'm not a second-round pick. I know that, but I got a shot, and I want to make the most of my shot. That's why I'm in here every day working out right now and running and all these things that he's doing, preparing for the NFL draft. And I got to walk him through that, and sure enough, he was not drafted and didn't end up making it on a team and sure enough, he was heartbroken, and I got to walk him through. I actually led him to the Lord, by the way, in that YMCA. And I got to walk with him on this little journey before he moved back uh, to another state where he had played college football. And when he moved back, he was heartbroken. And I watched as God started restoring him, and we had these conversations. And right now, he is leading a ministry to young boys and young men right now because he's not in the NFL necessarily, but he's doing something God's called him to do. It can, but it can be hard when you're undrafted. It can be, it can be difficult. It can be a, a painful experience. And, and some people think that God only wants the best. And I just want to tell you, that is not the truth whatsoever. You think if you don't preach on the stage or stand on the stage that, that you're not that important to God. And that could not be further from the truth. And sometimes we are so messed up and we've done so many bad things. And we get this image that the church is for perfect people and the bar is for broken people. I don't know if you've caught on to this. Just look around, but you are sitting next to some broken people. If you really knew the people you were sitting next to right now, some of you would pull your purses in a little closer to your side because you don't know what they've done, where they've been. You don't know what's going on in their mind. The church is actually for broken people, not perfect people. And if you're broken, you are in the right place. But what we got to do is stop looking and focusing and magnifying our own inadequacies and everything that we're not. We have to focus on what, who God is, not who we're not. So don't tell me how weak you are. Tell me how great and how strong God is. As long as we are focused on ourselves, whether that be how great we are or how weak we are, we are focused on the wrong thing. We focus on the Lord and how great and how strong he is. You might have been voted least likely to succeed, but you are still a draft pick in the kingdom of God. Now, <clears throat> for some of us in this room, for some people in this room, this even goes a little bit deeper because today we start a series called Blackish, the black experience in America. And some people actually get looked over because of the pigmentation of their skin. I'm here to tell you racism certainly still exists. Don't be blind to it. In fact, there's, there's two big mistakes that I watch people make. 
And by the way, this is an equal opportunity offensive message this morning. Because I came to this place a long time ago that I really don't care if you like me or not. I'm going to be judged by God. And I have to stand before him and answer to him. Therefore, I can offend white people and black people and Spanish people and everybody else. But I want to make sure I do not offend the Lord. So you could get mad at me this morning. I don't care. For the record. Just got to get that disclaimer out of the way. I will tell you this. I'm always for you even if I say things you don't like. So, so I see two very different things that happen a lot of times when it comes to these matters of race in America. One side wants to ignore racism and pretend it's not there. That, that's a sin and it's wrong and it's from the depths of hell when you see something that needs to be corrected, when you see injustice and you're not willing to step in and correct it. But then there are people on the extreme opposite that see racism everywhere and they magnify it as if they're worshiping it. Worshiping it. And we post things from racism in the past and keep bringing it back up as if that's going to make something better today. Instead, it's just throwing fuel onto a fire. And that starts to happen. I told you I'm going to offend all of you. Both of those things are evil at their core and non-Christian. Both of those things are where we need to focus on the Lord. Our world should revolve around Jesus, not racism. <laughs> Our world should revolve around healing people, not ignoring their hurts. So, so we've got to be careful. And one of those examples as we talk about undrafted people was a guy by the name of Warren Moon. Perhaps you've heard of Warren Moon. He's, uh, you know, a little bit a while ago now. But Warren Moon was not drafted. Would prevent him from being able to play quarterback. So even though he played at Washington and had a good career, he gets undrafted, doesn't even make it into the NFL, has to go play Canadian football for six years before he makes it into the NFL. And if you're old enough to remember Warren Moon when he played, he was lights out and played 17 years in the NFL, most of which with the Houston Oilers and became a Hall of Famer. And when he retired, he had the most passing yards, most completions, and most touchdowns of any player in history after playing six years in the Canadian Football League. In fact, he played 23 years total of professional football when you add Canadian. It sounded a lot like the GOAT, Tom Brady. But he didn't get the chance to count those first six years towards his records because of the color of his skin. So he had to go prove himself in Canada. So maybe like Warren Moon, you are in this room and you battle not only the outside things, not only, not only coming from a small town or the wrong side of the tracks, but you battle the color of your skin. And that is still a very real battle inside of the United States of America. See, the good news is that the Bible actually shares a story of a black man who walks through a very similar situation. And it's pretty cool how the Lord revealed this to me. I think you're going to enjoy it this morning. And, and no matter the pigmentation of your skin, I just want to say that we can all learn from this account. So while I, I talk on the subject of blackish throughout this series, we need to all learn from it. And even this morning as we talk some black history, it does, it, I really don't like that term black history, but it has to be said to understand what we're talking about because it's not black history, it's our history. It's human history. There's not such a thing as white history or black history. But even as we look at these things, we can all learn from them, and we should all be looking from them. So if you want to turn there, it's Acts chapter number 8. There's a physician by the name of Luke who takes it upon himself to write an account of the early church. And he seems to write a lot of those accounts firsthand. He was there. He watched it happen. It's almost like he notes as it happens, maybe journaling as he goes home that evening. And he's given an account of everything that's happening for this historical book of the early church. And so he's watching all this that goes on. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, there's this disciple of Jesus named Philip who is kicking butt and taking names. 
Acts chapter 8 is awesome. Philip, Philip, Philip is going around healing people and doing miraculous signs, and all these healings and miracles are following everything he does. He's, he's doing deliverance. He's pre- preaching to large crowds. Philip is a first-round pick. He was picked by Jesus, for crying out loud. He's one of the 12, then became 11. He's a first-round pick, for crying out loud. And that's where we pick up the story. Philip is killing it, man. He's doing awesome. He's in Jerusalem preaching. Everybody's coming to see him. Philip is killing it. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 26 through 40 in entirety. But to start, let's read 26 through 30. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Wait, wait, wait a second. Forgive me. I'm going to stop a bunch of times. Wait a second. Jesus, maybe you haven't noticed. Holy Spirit, maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm killing it in Jerusalem. Everybody wants to come see me in Jerusalem. And you're telling me to go to another place down another road that's actually the desert road. It's not even the nice road. There's two roads that go to Gaza. The desert road is the one that was less taken. You want me to do what? You want me to do what? But being an obedient disciple of Jesus, because that's all that really matters. Verse 2, so he started out and on his way, on his way he met a what? A what? Come on, are y'all paying attention? <coughs> a What? Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian means he's black. He met a black man who was a eunuch from Ethiopia, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the candidate, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. So he's in charge of the Ethiopians. Now, when we read this, I'm going to give you some context, and I'm also going to give you what's referred to as semiotics. It's the ability to connect the dots. The Bible may not say this. This is the way I'm interpreting it. This is the way that if you put yourself in the story, it makes the most sense. So let me just give you some connection. All the men in the room can vouch for this. No man becomes a eunuch on his own accord. I don't care how much you pay me. I don't care what you give me. Gentlemen, can I get an Amen. See, sometimes we preach about women giving birth, and men can't relate to that. You know, it's like, you don't know nothing about the pain of childbirth. You know nothing. And men are like, yeah, yeah, okay. This is the men's moment, okay? No man becomes a eunuch on his own accord. He did not get out of bed one morning and say, you know what? I just want to chop some things off. Well, come on, y'all. <laughs> so this man, this man was, was a eunuch, a eunuch. Why? He didn't do that on purpose because he's probably a former slave or still a slave in that moment, more than likely. He's a slave. So he's a enslaved black man who's been castrated. Why did they castrate somebody? They did it so that he could serve inside of a royal household. Because if you're castrated, it meant we were pretty sure you're not going to be sleeping with the harem and you're not going to be messing around with the king's wives. So the king would have you castrated, make you a eunuch. It also prevented you from plotting an overthrow because you could have no royal dynasty set up, so there was no reason for you to try to overthrow. It was a common practice of that time. And this man seems to be a slave. Not only is he a slave, but the Bible never even mentions his name. They just mention his issue, his challenge. (laughs) He's the Ethiopian eunuch, the black eunuch, and that's all they even mention about him. And if I stop there, it's a really sad story, but... The beauty of the story is that he seems to have come out of that. He seems to have left behind and made quite a name for himself from the past. He seems to be moving forward because now he's actually in a position, even though he's still enslaved, kind of like Joseph in Potiphar's house, he seems to have risen to a very high position. So now he's in charge of all of the treasury. Now he's in charge of all of the treasury of Ethiopia. 
And not only that, you're going to see in a second, he's apparently very wealthy because he's opening a scroll and reading it. We haven't got there. You're about to. But he's reading a scroll. To own a scroll in that time period, you have to be rich, like capital R, rich. So he seems to have come out of that. And even though he's still a slave, he's done moving on up to the east side. Yeah. And so, and so you see this man who comes out of slavery, maybe still enslaved, who is now a very wealthy man. So he's fought the battles. He's gone through the difficult seasons. He's gone through the civil rights movement. He's gone through the difficult things to get towards the top. And it says this man, verse 27, had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. This man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. When you just read that, you're not going to get the context of it. A eunuch is not allowed to worship in the temple. So even though this man has come out of slavery, at least to an extent, and now he's risen to a place of clout, he walks into Jerusalem where he is apparently a Jewish proselyte, probably from the days of the Queen of Sheba and Solomon. He's a Jewish proselyte. So now he's a black man walking into a Jewish world. And because of the Old Testament law, because he's a eunuch, he's not allowed in the temple. He has traveled all the way from Ethiopia to worship only to get to the temple gates to walk up to the temple. And there's basically a whites only sign. It's not whites only, but you get the idea. You cannot actually enter. I walked, so I am now facing, if I'm this man, an incredible injustice. He's seen as an outsider by the Jews. They don't want nothing to do with this guy. In fact, you'll see in a minute where he hasn't even, he doesn't even understand what he's reading because it seems to be nobody's going to teach him. He's what the Jewish people would refer to as a God-fearer. He, he, he's a God-fearer. He's an outsider that we tolerate. Anybody feel that type of injustice? And so he's coming back after this is going on, not being allowed to worship inside the temple. And he's reading aloud. That's a custom of the time. That's a way that you would share your book, especially if you were educated enough to read. Another sign this Ethiopian had risen to the top. And so kind of like you would listen to the radio or maybe listen to, to audio uh, uh, books uh, on your drives, on a long drive, this man is reading out loud. That was a common practice at the time. But he doesn't even understand. He, he doesn't even have someone to teach him what he's been reading about. Get this. The man has come out of an enslaved world. Now he is prominent, but now he walks back into a world that doesn't accept him the way that he is. He's not even allowed in the temple. And even though he has all this money, he apparently doesn't even have a teacher. Why? He's an outsider. He's not an insider. He's not Jewish. You know, the hardest thing is when you can move up in life and think the shackles are off you only to have them pulled back down. I don't care the color of your skin, although we're seeing it more with the black community in America right now, but it doesn't matter the color of your skin. When you think you have finally risen above your past, you have risen above the things that have hurt you so deeply, and then it grabs you and yanks you back down. That is a bad, tough time to be in. Are you all with me this morning? And that's where you're finding this man. And I find it ironic because I feel like that's where a lot of black Americans are today. Verse number 29, very powerful verse, 29 and 30. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Huh. 
<laughs> Stay with me. We're going somewhere. God saw the eunuch's pain, if you're taking notes. God saw the eunuch's pain. We have seen God. We've seen God move on the multitudes. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost has happened. We preach to the crowds. Philip, the number one draft pick, the first round pick with P disciples. Philip has done miracles and majestic things, powerful things. And God's going to take this mighty man of God. God's going to take a Tom Brady and send him to the Bucks. Come on, y'all. God's going to take this mighty man of God away from the crowds, away from the hype, and send him to walk next to this Ethiopian eunuch, to this man who has just faced injustice, to this man who is now walking through a hard time. And I think it's so powerful to me that God would leave the 99 and go after the one, that God would leave the crowds that Philip is doing miraculous things to and say, Philip, okay, I got this one guy right here I want you to go see. God sees you. God sees you in your injustice. He sees you in your pain. When justice happens to you, he sees you. When you feel undrafted and worthless and not good enough, he sees you. He's there for you. He's not ignoring you for the crowd. He will send the one to go after you. Some of you are here this morning and you didn't even know it, that God is sending me to go after you this morning. Verse number 30. <coughs> then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? I just read that, but I wanted context there. Philip asked. Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? This is again powerful. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. All right. So Philip, or I'm sorry, the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, he's risen to the top. He's faced this injustice. He's probably frustrated. He's driving home. He's reading this scroll that he doesn't understand. Maybe he understands it a little bit, but he's trying to get context and understand what's going on with it. He's reading this scroll that he doesn't understand. And then Philip comes walking up. And number two, the eunuch invited Philip into his pain. Some of you don't understand what's going on here. The eunuch's pain came from Jewish officials who did not let him in the temple. Philip is a Jewish disciple of Jesus who is now an official of the Christian church that at that moment looks a whole lot like the Jews and who did not let him into the temple. Do you let the person into your life or someone who looks like the person into your life who has just hurt you? How many times do we dismiss the people because we won't humble ourselves who can help us because they look like the person that hurt us? I know a lady, she's with the Lord now, but she was brutally raped by a, a group of black people, black men. From the time that happened to the day that she died, she could never be around black people again. I know other people that you've been horribly mistreated by white people and I can't hardly be around you because you won't be around me. And I end up paying the debt of what someone else did to you. I wonder, would the Ethiopian eunuch had ever discovered healing? We haven't got there yet, you will. Had ever discovered healing, would ever have understand the verse, would ever know the grace of God, had he not humbled himself and said, you look like the person that hurt me, but I believe God sent you to help me. When we get into a place Either side, racism. When we get into a place that we won't listen to somebody because of the color of their skin, we are racist. Doesn't matter which side. 
Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about in my life. He doesn't know what I've been through. Listen, if God has sent him to deliver you and help you, listen to him or her. Don't kick me out of your life because I'm white. Say, what are you talking about? Trust me. Don't kick me out of your life. Don't assume I can't speak into your pain that I can't help you because I'm white. And same thing the other way. Don't want to listen to me? Why? Because you think I can't understand? I faced a lot of stuff too. Might not all be the same. But God brought us together as a community of faith so we can learn from one another. You don't have to walk in everybody's shoes to understand everything everybody's going through or comfort them or be with them or, or speak on God's behalf to them. So he invites Philip to ride beside him because Philip was there to help. Philip loved him. He cared for him. Let me ask you this massive, huge, giant question. Who's riding beside you? We live in a society today where everybody wants to ride beside you. It doesn't matter which side of anything you're on. Somebody wants to manipulate you. Somebody wants to take the pain of your past, no matter what it is, and they want to manipulate it to be used by them, and they will look like your friends, but they aren't your friends. And if we're not careful, we invite them because it's so tempting because they agree with us because it, they help infuriate what's inside of us. And we invite them to come ride right beside of us. They don't love you. They don't care for you. So who's riding beside you? Who's teaching you? Who's speaking into your mind? It's a scary thing when the schools and when the world that we live in starts speaking untruth into our minds because we grow up believing untruth. There are many who want to use you and abuse you for their good. We have to be so careful because we enjoy it because it incites something in us. And we end up picking up passengers. We're like, we're like that Disney haunted house where you walk, go through the end and the ghost comes up beside you and all of a sudden you didn't even know it, but you're picking up a passenger. We end up picking up passengers because we like what they say or we like how it agrees with us. They're not benefiting us. They're not challenging us. They're not making us better, but they agree with us and they end up inciting us. See, we must let those who speak for God speak to us louder than anybody else. So I say, who speaks for God? Pastor Brent, you're just talking about you? No, not just me. You are in a room full of people that all are filled with the Holy Spirit, or many are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they can speak on God's behalf to you for situations. Listen to them. Listen to them, even if they look like the people that hurt you. So we have to be discerning. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing that want to devour you. And too often we fall for it hook, line, and sinker. People trying to use our hurt to accomplish their agenda. I'm sick of watching good people, people I love, drink the Kool-Aid that ends up full of hate. It drives me crazy. Hurts me to my core to watch you hurt. And oftentimes people don't even realize it's going on. Because there are some very bad ideas floating around America today. Be careful what you start buying into. You have got to hear God's voice above the others. I feel like I say that every other message, but it's so true right now. So let's keep going. <coughs> Verse 32. He's reading Isaiah. This passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of what? Oh, is that not a buzzword right now? He was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? He was deprived of justice. Isn't God good? How you can open up the Bible and it'll speak right to the situation that's in your life. This Ethiopian eunuch, this black man, this eunuch who has come out has just faced injustice. Now he's opening up the scroll right to a passage that says Jesus also faced injustice. Isn't it funny? Isn't it cool how God does that? Which leads to number three, Jesus knows pain and injustice. I don't think it's a coincidence that he happens to be reading that passage. Because it's speaking into what he has just faced. And make no mistake, no one has faced more injustice than Jesus. That's what you're seeing in that passage. And Jesus wants you to know that he knows the pain of injustice. He is the only perfect perfect one who would then face the persecution that you and I deserve. He understands. If anybody can be with you and understand what you're walking through when you face injustice, it's Jesus. Not everybody else who wants to harm you. Who are you letting in your chariot? Those who speak for Jesus? Who actually understand your pain because Jesus does? Or someone else? In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. So what am I saying? Take it to Jesus. Don't take it to someone else. Don't take it out on someone else. Jesus already had it taken out on him. He understands the injustice. The pain on his back was injustice done to him. So he can understand. And that injustice can heal your hurt from injustice. Don't take it out on someone. Take it to Jesus. When I was in high school, I had a a boss a black man that treated me like crap. I'm convinced to this day as an adult man that he did that because I was white. He treated the black employees who is who he always hired. I was hired by somebody else. Completely different from me. Treated me like garbage. When I finally left there, young man, not saved, I was so irritated. And you know, being a young guy is immature and, and I used to sit and daydream about driving by because his car would always be out front of the grocery store we worked at. And I would daydream about shoot out his windows. Because I was smart enough to know I'm not going to do a real gun. Because you get in real trouble for that. But a BB gun. I could drive by and I could shoot his windows. Why? Why? Because justice had turned into vengeance. Listen to me in this room. A lot of what is being referred to as justice in America is really vengeance. Be careful. It's not godly. It's not from God. Y'all don't have to like me. You don't have to come back next week. But I will stand before God as I speak this. God is clear. We have to be careful that we don't go into vengeance for what we're calling justice. Those are not the same things. Don't take it out on someone. Take it, out to, take it to Jesus. Jesus already bled for your injustice. He already bled for your healing. If, you are see, if, you, if you're seeking blood, seek Jesus' blood. That's tweetable right there. I just said that, but that's tweetable. If you're seeking blood, you need to go find the blood of Jesus. Because he's already died for your injustice. He's already perished for your pain. And you see it right here in the story. Verse 34, let's keep reading. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, is the prophet talking about himself uh, or someone else? So there's all this controversy during that time. Who was that passage about? Because Jesus had not existed yet, so they didn't quite understand so he's like, what, what's going on here? You see, again, where he hasn't been taught, even though he has money, even though he's come out, he hasn't been taught. Then Peter began with what this very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road, or as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. 
I love this. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and Eudic went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in, in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I love it. So, so Philip, he's back preaching to large crowds. He's healing the sick, doing miraculous miracles. But there's this little pause because Jesus cares about people facing injustice where he sends Philip out of all of that to go find the one. My fourth point, if you're taking notes, the eunuch refused to let his pain detour his future. I love what happens here. The eunuch seems to be this man of action, and he takes control of his future. He's like, hey, here's some water. What, why can't I get baptized right now? Am I too black? Am I too much of a eunuch? Am I not man enough? What prevents me from being baptized right now? And Philip's like, nothing, bro. Let's go. Let's do this. I love that story of people being baptized last Wednesday night. Same thing. What prevents me? What prevents me? What prevents me? Nothing prevents me. But he brought it up, not Philip. Philip didn't say, listen, there's some water. You can get baptized right now. The eunuch brought it up. Why? Because he understands that he controls his future, no one else. In the leadership world, there's a lot of talk right now about the locus of control. Who controls your life? Are you in control of your life or some outside force in control of your life? Well, we know that God is ultimately the big player in this, but the little player that actually makes the difference in your life is you. What you choose to do to take responsibility, not blaming everybody else for everything else that happens, but taking responsibility and say, I'm not going to be this. <coughs> Can I just talk? I want to talk to everybody, but specifically, dear black folks, I wrote this in my notes. You come from a lineage of overcomers who were washed and empowered by the blood of an overcomer. So what are you talking about? Let me just, let me just walk you through some, some history that you've probably never been taught. The Reverend Henry Highland Garrett was an escaped slave who became one of the most powerful preachers of the 1800s. A powerful man of God. And so after the vote on the 13th Amendment, when slavery was officially abolished in the United States, after that vote, they said that Congress went crazy and people were throwing hats and celebrating and cheering. And they came together and they said, we need somebody to preach a message on this special day. We need somebody to preach. So they looked over and they found the Reverend Harry Highland Garnett and said, I want you to be the preacher inside of the halls of Congress. And he went up to the stage a little while later and he preached his first sermon that a first time a black man, a former slave had ever preached in Congress. By the way, if you think that's weird, there was a church in Congress already by that point. It used to be used as a church house too. And he walks up to the stage and he begins preaching. His opening line was, what is slavery? Too well do I know what it is. I was born among the cherished institutions of slavery. My earliest recollections of my parents, friends, and the home of my childhood are clouded by its wrongs. The first sight that met my eyes was a Christian mother who was enslaved. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I know slavery. But if you were to fast forward to the end of it, he says, he said this, let the constitution of the country be so amended that slavery and involuntary servitude shall no longer exist in the United States except for the punishment for a crime. Surely as an act so sublime could not escape the divine notice and doubtless the deeds has been recorded in the archives of heaven. Favored men and honored of God as his instruments speedily finish the work which he has given you to do. Emancipate, enfranchise, educate, and give the blessings of the gospel to every American citizen. He's a previous slave. He's not supposed to be preaching in Congress. And he preaches a powerful message. Here 
Hiram Road Revels, this is personally probably my favorite that nobody's heard of. Hiram Road Revels was a, uh, he was the first black senator to ever be elected into government in 1869. And he was elected from Mississippi. He was a former minister and a missionary and a pastor. And during the Civil War, he was a chaplain who got at least three regiments of black men to fight during the Civil War. And, and in 1869, he becomes the first, the first government official to be African-American from a background. And I love this story, not just because of that, because there's several of these I'm going to share. I love this story because of the irony. Because you know whose seat he took when he... You might have heard of. His name is Jefferson Davis. Some of you are like, who's that? Jefferson Davis, when the Confederacy left, becomes the president of the Confederacy. He left his chair in the Senate empty because they left the United States, left it to become... <laughs> to become the president, and he didn't get it back. Come on, y'all. That's just funny. You can laugh. He didn't get it back because the Confederacy was obviously for slavery, and <laughs> Hiram Revels actually steps into that seat. Y'all need to know this history. That's important stuff. I think that's fun. You need to know that. You can go tell somebody that. They'll think you're smart. How about Benjamin Turner of Alabama? He was a slave during the war who within five years after the war had become wealthy and prosperous as a businessman and the second elected to the House of Representatives, second black man elected to the House of Representatives. They said that he mortgaged his own house in order to run for office. He was elected, elected in 1871. He was educated by listening to white people when they were teaching in, the, in their homes and he would listen in and that's how he was educated. How about Robert DeLarge of South Carolina, another former slave who was later elected to the state house in 1871. He chaired the South Carolina Republican Party and he served on the board for the mentally ill. How about Josiah Walls of Florida, the former slave who was forced to fight for the Confederacy, but after being captured by Union forces, he promptly enlisted into the Union Army. <laughs> no kidding. He was elected to Congress in 1871 and re-elected three times. How about Jefferson Long of Georgia? He was born a slave. Have you, have you caught on to that a few times now? Born a slave over and over. Self-educated and built a thriving business. He was elected to Congress in 1869 and was the first black man to deliver a speech in the U.S. House. Joseph Hayden Rainey of South Carolina, born a slave, but served five terms in Congress and was briefly Speaker of the House. He was elected in 1869. Robert Brown Elliott of South Carolina, Elected in 1871, he served two terms. He led the passage of the Civil Rights Bill, despite the fact that they were strident opposition uh, by the Congressional Democrats at the time. And he became the Speaker of the House, elected in 1871, Robert Brown Elliott. Of these early pol politicians, almost all of them had been slaves just a few years prior. They went from slavery to Congress in five years. Almost all of them were self-taught or home-educated Three were ministers, seven were attorneys, five were school teachers, and four were university presidents. Why does that happen? Because like the Ethiopian eunuch, they say, I don't care what has happened to me, I'm going to take charge of my future. I'm not going to blame everybody else for all the problems in life. I'm going to take control, and I'm going to make something happen of my life. That's the legacy that we've been given. But perhaps the most famous You've probably heard of him, and he's probably my ultimate favorite, but he is the most famous of all of these. It was about a guy by the name of Frederick Douglass. Unfortunately, most people don't know the stories of Frederick Douglass. He was an escaped slave who became an abolitionist leader in the movement. 
continued to fight for equal rights after and during the Civil War and even before. He worked as an inspiration to civil rights movements in the 1960s. A lot of what Martin Luther King Jr. did and stuff started all the way back in the 1860s with Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was born a slave in 1818. He never actually knew his birth date. He knew his year born in 1818, never knew his actual birth date. He was completely self-taught. He's taught himself to read and write. And as quickly as he could to read and write again using the Bible, he was a strident, tried and true Christian and tried to, tried to educate other enslaved people, which made people mad everywhere he went. He was owned by a particularly harsh man known for beating his slaves. After several failed attempts, he eventually escaped in 1838 when he's 20 years old, settled in New York, which at the time was not a slave state, where he began leading abolitionist meetings. He was a very good orator and very educated, even though he was self-taught. And so he quickly started rising to the top. And he was such a good speaker, people from all over wanted to hear him speak on these subjects. And he became a significant leader in the abolitionist movement. In fact, he was really the face, the same way Martin Luther King Jr. was the faith of face of civil rights. Not that he was the only one, but the face. Frederick Douglass was the face of the civil rights movements of that day. He actually went on a world tour speaking about slavery and equal rights all over the world because it wasn't just an American problem. That's our version of it, but it was a problem around the world. He became close friends with Abraham Lincoln. Did, don't miss what I just said right there. A former slave, a runaway slave, became close friends with Abraham Lincoln. Huh. He served in several key government positions, including ambassador to Dominican Republic, which made him the first black man to hold a high office. After his wife died in 1882, he married a white activist in 1884. You talk about controversial. Hey, by the way, next week is Valentine's Day, and we're going to talk about that. In 1888, I love this. In 1888, he became the first African-American to receive a vote for president of the United States in the Republican National Convention. Huh. He didn't end up getting the nomination, but he got, the, got votes to it. We, we forget these things because the people around us wants to concentrate on everything negative. And there's a lot of negative. And those things cannot be ignored. But you don't defeat darkness by calling out darkness. You defeat darkness by lighting a candle. I love this. And this is going to prove a point. This is a great quote from Frederick Douglass. We put this on social media this week. He said this, From my earliest recollection, I date the entertainment of a deep conviction that slavery would not always be able to hold me within its foul embrace. And in the darkest hours of my career in slavery, this living word of faith and spirit of hope departed not from me, but remained like ministering angels to cheer me through the gloom. This good spirit was from God, and to him I offer thanksgiving and praise. <laughs> you know why I underlined that last sentence? This is important for you to see this. Very important. When I first stumbled across that quote in my, in my study for this, when I first stumbled across that quote, that last line was let off by a reputable historical website. I don't know about you, but I think the last line is the most important line in the whole thing. But the world doesn't want you to see that they want you to make the government the hope of the world, not the spirit that was from God. That's why you got to be careful who you allow in your chariot to speak into your life. People have an agenda. They want to manipulate you. They want to control you. But he said, the good spirit was from God. To him I offer thanksgiving and praise to cheer me on during the hardest times. It almost sounds like a, like a message version, like, a, like, like Isaiah the prophet talking about Jesus who faced everything 
that was all the difficulties, including injustice. It almost sounds like a paraphrase of that, that I would face all this injustice, but I'm turning my attention to Jesus. I'm turning my attention to the one who faced injustice for me. Don't let the locus of control rest on everybody else. They're not in charge of your life. Take your future into your own hands. No excuses. Come from a legacy of that. Come from a legacy. As I begin to wrap up, I was thinking about that and going back and thinking about the Bucks. Tom Brady. All these years now playing in the NFL. Tom Brady was picked in the NFL draft at number 199. The greatest player of all time. He was not undrafted, but he was really close. There's only 254 picks in that draft. At number 199, he's picked. (laughs) The story goes that he thought he was going to be picked in the second or third round. And so when the second round comes and he's not picked, he's a little troubled. When the third round comes and he's not picked, he starts getting perturbed by the fourth, fifth, sixth round. This is the very end of the sixth round. There's only seven. The very end, when they have the compensatory picks, is when he's picked. The very end of the sixth round... In the sixth round, he actually left the house for a while. He was so embarrassed and frustrated, he walked out of his This is before the days of cell phone. If the general manager calls you, you got to be home, right? (laughs) He walks out of his house so frustrated, so irritated, mad. They're supposed to pick me in the second round, supposed to pick me in the third round. I'm better than this. He goes back in. Finally, pick number 199, the very end of the sixth round. Finally, He's picked up. I wonder how he's going to respond to that. Is he going to be bitter? Angry? Better than the way they treated me. Or is, does the locus of control rest on him to prove himself? And uh, so Tom Brady, the first time he meets Robert Kraft. Now, Robert Kraft is the owner of the Patriots. And the first time he meets Robert Kraft, you can look this up on YouTube. Robert Kraft shares this story a lot. He likes to share it. He said they were walking through the halls of the old stadium and apparently Tom Brady was holding a pizza box. He's a rookie probably buying pizza for the other players, I would imagine. And so he's carrying a pizza box and he passes Robert Kraft in the hallway. And he said he stopped and stuck his hand out and said, said, Mr. Kraft, you don't know me, but my name is Tom Brady. And Robert Kraft said, yeah, yeah, I know you're our sixth round pick. He said, Tom Brady looked him dead in the eye with a laser focus. He said, yeah, and I was the best decision this organization ever made. And then walked off. I'm like, bro, bro, listen, I don't know what has happened in your life, the difficulties that you have faced, no matter the color of your skin, but I do know this. You can look the devil straight in the face and say, you will not hold me down. You will not keep me down. I will worship the Lord. I will prevail. I will walk through this. Life is not perfect. There are still problems, but I will not be held down by these things that other people might think about me, say about me. I might be a sixth round pick. (laughs) Oh, but I'm going to be the greatest of all time for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. I think he said it like this too. This is just my, he's laughing at him. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose an enslaved man to step out of slavery and preach a sermon after the 13th Amendment in the halls of our Congress. 
He chose the weak things. Those who were uneducated, who had nothing going for them, who said, I got God going for me, and that's enough, and I can bring change from that. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world to dis- and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love that because I could look around this room. Sorry to offend you. Most of you weren't wise. Most of you aren't noble. Most of you aren't rich. Most of you aren't draftable. (laughs) But with God's grace, you can make it through every adversity, every injustice that's done to you. With God's grace, you might start on the bottom, but you can end on the top. With God's grace, when you take control of your life, listen, the world may pass you by, but you are a perfect candidate for God to use. Stand up with me, would you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just one second? There are some of you in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. And I just want to say, like the Ethiopian eunuch, God will leave the crowd and come right to you by yourself right now. He's more interested in you than he is the crowd. He will leave the 99 and go after the one. And you are that one. And you'll know it because he's dealing with your heart right now. You'll know it because he's knocking on the doors of your heart saying, will you give me your life? Will you surrender to me? And you might say, I'm not wise, I'm not noble, but that's what that verse just said. That's exactly who God chooses to use as if they were wise and noble. None of the disciples were educated in noble birth or royalty, but all of them turned the world upside down. Listen, we can turn the world upside down through the grace of God. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in this room this morning, say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. Would you just stick your hand up and wave it at me? Come on around this room, would you pray with me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. So from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. Make me new in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor, text 21777. Uh, to uh, text Jesus to 21777 and we would love to start a little journey with you for the next 21 days sending you a little devotional every day and walk you through that journey make sure you talk to somebody who brought you this morning and they would love to walk you on that journey I'm sure as well I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and, and come on up front we don't have a lot of time but I do want to make a moment where if you want special prayer for anything this morning maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch you have faced injustice and it is wearing on you and it is heavy And you just want somebody to agree with you and pray with you. Maybe something in this message sparks something in you. I don't know. Maybe it could be completely separate. Maybe it's a financial miracle you need or a physical healing. But no matter what it is, we're going to sing one last song. And as we do, if you want special prayer for anything this morning, I want to invite you out of your seat and up front. Um, As well as we have communion on my right and left. Sorry, I got to look and make sure it's on my right and left. We have communion.
this morning available for you. If you'd like to receive communion, you can go there and receive communion. We're going to sing one last song as we get ready to close. Don't leave yet because we have a closing thing, but, but let's worship the Lord during this last song together as we reflect on this message. Go ahead, Pastor Joseph. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.